Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm easily tameable, you know, so I have to watch that in me to not like then enter a whole like three hour conversation. That's sort of an overview of my shadow work of not being a people pleaser of not, you know, and, and as a director, you can't, you have to say no, you have to say that doesn't work. And sometimes you're wrong, <laughs> but there's no way I could be a director as a people pleaser. So it's hand in hand. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. Huh? What's the vibe? There's some damsels in the DM. DM. Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs, yeah, we see them, yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them, we just leave them. Please, yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren. And I'm Alejandro, and I'm so excited. Lauren, oh my goodness, we've spoken about how amazing of an experience Disruptors Fellowship was. But. To have Melanie D'Andrea come on and share these amazing insights and gifts and commonalities that you share with her too. This is I know. quite an amazing conversation that we have. I want to take a little step back for our listeners, Alejandro, with uh, the Disruptors Fellowship, because I know you talked about it a little bit. Um, can you just say like who runs the organization? Like how do people find it if they want to get involved? You were an actor or a writer in this. Like just just give people a little bit of intel so that they know what they're uh, hearing about. Yes. So sorry for jumping ahead. I have a tendency to do that when I get super, super excited. But uh, the Disruptors Fellowship is an opportunity where underrepresented writers come together. Well, they're selected. Uh, the total is 10. Uh, it started in 2020, I believe, as a virtual experience and has evolved into an in-person stage reading in front of an audience that includes studio representatives, SAG people, um, just a range of uh, individuals who have an influence on seeing the writer's work come to fruition on television. And... Um, People from the LGBTQ plus community are identified, are selected, or as candidates, people with disabilities or trans individuals are also part of the pool of talent that are highlighted as writers, and there are a variety of actors that are brought onto this project or into this realm to basically be the voices of the different characters that are written or created by the writers, and I was able to come on board. Um, after my work with Undocumented Tales, which was written and directed by Armando Ibanez, because he is the he was a production coordinator of this experience, and wow. he invited me to read for two stories. Um, so, and that's another thing that you notice too is like a lot of the actors rotate or not are rot yeah they are rotated to different stories. Um, so it's cool where it's like you know not only are the writers able to showcase their work, but the actors are also able to showcase uh, a range of characters. So the three writers that I was able to read for included Gulit Issa, 
Tulio da Silva and Silvia Lara, and they wrote three beautiful and unique stories. And Melanie was the director of one of the stories that I was in. She also directed another one as part of the um, entire group of talent that was being showcased. And it was just an amazing bonding and uh, creative process that uh, it was a really, it was a real beautiful privilege to be a part of. And is this, is this like a showcase like happening in a theater? What's the, where is it? Yeah, it's stage reading. So the, this uh, oh. showcase took place at a theater right off of like, um, what was it, Highland and something, right on that, like, it's like a theater strip. And yeah, so, so there, it's a stage reading was the final production of the showcase. And that was just, you know, uh, all of us lined up with music stands in front of us and we were, we had the scripts. Um, so, you know, I was able to memorize a lot of what I had to do because, I mean, it wasn't too long. I mean, each piece was only 10 minutes long. It really is just oh. like a snippet to showcase like kind of like a sizzle reel or like a snapshot of what sort of mm -hmm. episodic content these writers are having in mind. And yeah, you bring props, you bring costumes, uh, just to kind of like help you bring to life your character. And I don't know the number of attendees that were allowed in the theater, but it was a full house. Uh, so that was really great. There was, you know, lighting cues that we had to work out. It was a really great production and the talent to see the talent on stage, my goodness, and to collaborate with everybody. It was amazing. It was and what a great opportunity for actors to work with up and coming writers and directors. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the compliments that were received were really great and really affirming too. It's just like, you know, not only did you do a good job, but we're going to be in touch moving forward. So it's like, okay, you know, it, it's, it was a gift to be invited and it was a true blessing to hear those words being spoken. So, you know, to continue those good vibes um, and keeping them in mind too for future work, you know, like keeping in mind Melanie for directing the project in some form in the future. My goodness, like it just immediately comes naturally. So I am so thrilled that she was willing to accept our invitation to come on board and be highlighted. So shall we get into this? Let's do it. Yes. All right. Hello, hello. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm too excited, but I can't do your verbato, so no singing on my end. But thank you for <laughs> chatting with me. Oh, my God. No, seriously. It's amazing to have... I feel like we developed a very quick bond with the short time frame that we had of working together at the Disruptors Fellowship. But I'm so excited for you to come on and share a deeper, more comprehensive exploration of your journey with us here. <laughs> I will try to do my best, but y'all with me, y'all. I love for you to direct me now and let me All know right. how I can best serve. Well, let's start at the very beginning. You know, where? tell us where you're from. Um, and share with our listeners what you do and um, even, you know, where you're located. I know you, you and Lauren were talking about a USC connection just momentarily. <laughs> so I'm, I was born in Venezuela and I, from Maracay, Venezuela. And, you know, we were victims of violence. This was before the regime shift. <laughs> we had a democracy then, but we moved to South Florida and I was six years old. And honestly, I think that's the beginning. Me becoming very observant, me having to assimilate, 
you know, me watching others and trying to not be the weirdo as a kid coming in with trauma in first grade. And I really do believe that's what began my artistry. That's what began me analyzing others, me analyzing myself, me writing, me coping through my writing, eventually through videos. But it was through poetry and that that I just started to reflect on the world. So I really do think that's my inciting incident and grew up in South Florida and thought I was going to be a doctor, went pre-med, psychology, neuroscience, and switched into film, which was my ultimate love. I just had no examples, you know, of you can do this, but it's what I spent all my time doing outside of studying or playing softball. I should have known I was queer. I didn't, but- uh, oh my God, we're the same person. I was captain of my softball team. No way. <laughs> wow, look at the alignment. But I was- I was the captain. Uh, stop, is this destiny? Is this what it looks destiny. like? <laughs> Yeah. That's so funny. Anyway, I cut you off. Please continue. No, please cut me off. This is a dialogue. I love it. You know, and uh, it was pivotal for me to switch into filmmaking. It was it was uh, a study abroad trip to Paris. And when I got to see artists be respected and be a cultural thread that really inspires so much politics and action and joy... I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. And I couldn't go back to my life uh, pre-med in America. And yeah, so there's so much to say, but I'm just so grateful for everyone along the way who accepted me. It was the the underground art scene of Miami that made me um, and took me under their wings. And then I got accepted to a school out here in California and I've actively chosen to stay in LA ever since. I love how this place has made allowed me to become who i am absolutely yeah 100 percent. so was your mfa the first time you moved to california or were you here undergrad as well okay wow no. undergrad i went to the university of miami so california i literally moved the day before uh, our school wow. um uh i think the weekend before school started so it was zero to Los Angeles. It was full culture shock. I came from cities where Latinos were the powerhouses to a very different dynamic in Los Angeles and trying to figure that out and sort that out. I was there like as the, in, in Florida, the Latinos didn't accept me as Latina. They're like, ah, tu eres la gringa. And then here everyone's like, you're Latina. And I go, this is so interesting, the dynamics. So anyway, yes, first time, That's but I've been here 13 years. Wow. It's really interesting how you had described assimilation and survival skills uh, from a very early age and how it's it, it takes a different form, but still very relevant um, no matter where you go. And uh, it, it's fascinating, but also such a testament of your strength and, and courage, you know, to step in faith in a direction where it's just like you're, you're trusting where your passions are taking you in, in a really beautiful way. But I want to go back to the, um, you mentioned, uh, what was it? Study abroad in Paris. What was that? What was the purpose of that program? And I, yeah, sorry. Um, I, I was, uh, my minor was French and I had studied ah. French for a few years and a friend of mine and I, we were both pre-med and we know each other since like second grade. We're like, let's go, you know, and we had no idea the impact 
that that would have on us, the culture of France. She also left pre-med and became, and ended up in fashion and, and international design. So we both oh, disrupted our lives at that yes. point. Yes. Here for the disruptions. <laughs> yes. I am so happy my life is about disruption. It was meant to be. <laughs> I'm curious for you, Melanie, especially because, you know, I'm in my MFA program and actually our editor here is also on the MFA program. How would you say that getting your MFA in film like helped as a catalyst in your career? Do you think film school is worth it? You know, I would love for you to speak to that a little bit. Foremost, I have to just be honest with the, you know, we're all young when we make that choice. I was 22. I was signing major papers. It's a lot of debt. <laughs> it's a big choice. And I don't want to, you know, I don't, I'm not here to dissuade people, but I'm like, it's a big choice. And we're actually luckily in a field where you have to train somehow, whether it's an institute or with a mentor or working your way up, like you're going to have to do the work somewhere. But I do, you know, I am glad I rolled the dice with my grad program. Um, I had imposter syndrome. I came from experimental poetic cinema and documentary. Who was I at USC? Like I, I walked in, I couldn't find my class and I'm wearing a suit. I'm 22. I'm wearing a, a whole suit. I'm like, I'm at USC, right? And I can't find the class. I'm like, does anyone know where Norris cinema is? I finally get to class. I'm late. I'm sweating. And I walk in and it's like a bunch of dudes with Star Wars shirts. I'm like, oh, okay, got it. You know, understood. Probably all in flip-flops also. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that as well. And I, you know, for me, uh, I am so thankful. I got, I was lucky. It is a predominantly white institution and I have to, and I don't, I know that here, I don't have to explain what all of that means, but I got lucky as in, People saw my strange voice and cultivated it. And I ended up doing a lot of documentary work and mixed modal work. And I'm so grateful because I didn't know if I would be seen. I think the risk at these institutions is if you're not seen, it's like being anywhere else. But it is a safe place to experiment, to create yeah. your comrades in which you're going to enter this intense field with. And I think that like ultimately you're going to also not only develop your skill sets for the rest of your career and and school is just a really fast way and really intense way to gain your academia practically and also theoretically but you're building your community like i can't imagine what it would have been like to just land in los angeles at least i came and i created the people who would nurture me into my next phase so I do think it was worth it, but all the caveats have to be there because it's a lot to consider, but you will have to do the work somehow, but choose your path. That is such a good answer. I love that. And it's so true because even now, like being here in New York, I have a lot of friends here from USC. You know, it's interesting, like the way that the connections carry over that you build, because I think like if you are working in a similar field, like you end up in similar places, whether you want to be there or not. So it's interesting how that works. I'm curious because I saw that you had these amazing initiatives, like working with the NBCU Universal launch, the Telemundo Fellowship. You were a Ryan Murphy half initiative mentee. 
after getting your MFA, what made you think that, okay, I still need to go do all these other things? And how do you think those help to advance you in your career? All right. I'm going to be vulnerable. I think, you know, when you have, I ha I feel like I had success at school, you know, as far as my, cause you, it's, it's a very competitive program, even within it. Like there are so many directing opportunities. There are so many, you know, and so even right out of school, I was a HBO access finalist. I didn't make it, but I'm like, okay, you know, cause you have your, your examples of Ryan Coogler, like all of these people are fed into you. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to build momentum but I'm actually glad that that slapped me in the face and that my career didn't develop like a shooting star <laughs> because, you know, I just realized, oh, there are so many brilliantly talented, hardworking people in this industry. And what it made me do was cultivate my individual voice. I think leaving uh, grad school, I just thought like, I have to prove that I can direct whatever, like you just hire me for whatever I'm going to execute. And that's not the point because here, anyone can, you can find anyone to execute anything. You know, this town has any kind of director, any kind of creative, but what is it that you're sparking in this world? Like, what is it that you're here to be a vessel for? And once mm -hmm. I tuned that in, you know, I felt like doors started to open. And I mean that like deep shadow work. I'm not talking about, oh, let me, like simple, like this is what I want to do. It's like, oh no, what? am I avoiding? What is it that I have to look at? Where do I have to develop? But honestly, like being a Latina director, a, a director in general, <laughs> but being a woman also, like you have to, for the most part, do these initiatives. I, I don't know many people who just launch, you know, I think you have, what happens in this business, like any business is that people have to trust you. They don't know who you are. Like when you're running yeah. a set, you're hundreds of thousands of dollars. Can you be trusted with this top talent with, you know, all of it? So I think I, I needed to be humbled in that way to be like, okay, I have to build trust. And these initiatives are bridges to be trusted. Like here's, you know, here's you being mentored. How do you do there? How do you shadow? How do people see you on set? Like you're building connection. So half initiative was a step. You don't get an episode of TV, but that having that allows others to be like, well, half selected them. So maybe we should look at them too. It's like, you're slowly building trust and connections. And I've been here 13 years. I got NBC last year. So this is a 12 year game, you know, and I don't mean game in a bad way. I played sports. I love games, but you know, I think. I had to look at also the directors I admire. I'm like, oh, their careers launched in their mid forties, in their fifties. Like that's really what this looks like. It takes this long, honestly, for you to even have the knowledge to run a set truly like, cause who am I to run a set? If all these people are experts at what they do, it takes time to be able to play ball at their level. I think it's really interesting how there's this common thread. So you two shared that you have softball in common. I was a competitive swimmer for a really long time. And I think I agree with you. It's interesting, like the stamina that we have to build and like the trust and teamwork skills that we develop through those experiences that I think really allow us to have the patience that you're describing. Because, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been out here seven years and it 
took a bit of time until I finally was able to have my sense of community or to be able to understand like, okay, use your time this way so that you can experience this new growth in that way. And I, I love what you said about, you know, doing the shadow work, doing the internal work that is required because yeah. I feel like you just like in a relationship, we can't really give ourselves fully until we have like healed all of whatever needs to be healed you know, but before doing all that. So I wonder what were some either books or resources that you used to help with that side of the, the growth that you experienced? Ooh, oh my gosh. Well, I'm just gonna, on the filmmaking side, Judith Weston, she teaches directors how to, how to direct actors. And she's, I, she's a spiritual witch, I swear. I mean, she makes you, see like working with her and I, I was lucky to work you know in one of her workshops in person she doesn't do that anymore but her book she has two books out there I so recommend it because she really sees it as spiritual work like you're making life feel real and have people express emotions and have other people receive it like you must take this very seriously you have to do that work right so just like that like of understanding humanity, there's many layers to be able to break down a character, break down a scene, break down a script and make it feel uh, like it's worth watching and that it has impact. Same in life, right? Like you have to observe yourself. I, I'm looking here at my bookshelf, you know, Bell Hooks was someone who really inspired me to reshape love and notice where I, was in strange dynamics or in um, not really acting from that place. And, and she also describes love as in pushing everyone towards their ultimate expression. So that sometimes is tough. That sometimes is speaking up. Sometimes that is also speaking up against something that you're doing, right? So I really hold so much there, but also another book, Women Who Run With The Wolves. If you don't know that book, do you? I, I, I've heard of it, you know. Uh, okay, so Pincola, uh, Clara Pincola Estel is the writer. Um, it's essentially, she's a, neuro, she's a neuroscientist, I think, uh, under, she's more of a, wow, my psychology knowledge. Uh, she's <laughs> like in the Jungian lineage. And so not only is she a PhD, she also is a cantadora, which is the, Latino tradition of of the spiritual woman who told the stories of the generations to bring in themes and lessons. So she brings up the lost themes and stories of women of history and then breaks down their, what is it called? The, with the general, thank you, archetypes. But that was powerful because ultimately it's about awakening your wild woman self or your wild wolf self, because in this society, and that's, that was essentially my 20s was like, to answer your question finally, Alejandro, is that I had to rip apart anything of me that was tame, anything that was really just fitting in, anything that made me feel less than or gave me that anxiety. I had to tear that apart and risk bigger and fall bigger. And I think something happened. I had an audacity when I moved to California. I had an audacity when I was in grad school. And then learning the, the intensity of our business kind of makes you try be more safe 
And I had to rip that apart. And that was intense. That was in my personal life. That was in so many aspects. I mean, I came out when I was 27. You know, there's so many aspects of me that had to tear open. Um, and I'm still doing that work. I'm easily tameable. You know, so I have to watch that in me to not like then enter a whole like three hour conversation. That's sort of an overview of my shadow work of not being a people pleaser of not, you know, and, and as a director, you can't, you have to say no, you have to say that doesn't work. And sometimes you're wrong, <laughs> but there's no way I could be a director as a people pleaser. So it's hand in hand. Going off of what you said, first of all, I'm so inspired by that. And I totally relate because I really struggle with people pleasing myself. I think that's, you know, very common of us people who choose this career path. But um, it's been really interesting for me because I've been preparing for a lead role in a feature that I'm going to be shooting next week. And like, oh boy, does the sports analogy come true when you're getting ready for this, you know, because I feel like I've been in marathon training, not only just because of the like, um, physical endurance that I've been trying to build, but you know, doing the 10 pages a night and everything else. But I feel like having to let go of like the people pleasing and wanting to please the director and making sure I'm doing a good job for everybody, just because I know that I need to get through the material that I have to show up with when I get on set. I've had to start saying no to a lot of things. And I'm definitely like a yes person. I want to try to do as many things as I can possibly do. And I try to wear a lot of hats in my life. But having to say no to things has been really tough. And I think especially like we learned that in film school, right? Because like as you start to work with your collaborators, like you have to start to be okay with not being liked by everybody on the set that you start to work with. And I think that's really hard. Um, I'm curious for you, like... As a director, how did you start to hone your power when you came on set? And how did you start to be okay with telling people no? Ooh, well, first, I want to acknowledge what you just shared, because I, I feel for actors, you are in a position of pleasing the director, yeah. right? But really, you're pleasing the script. Uh, and so, you know, how do I engage in my quote unquote power is by it not being a hierarchy. Like I... It took me a long time to look at examples that were different of like, I feel like a director is really a cheerleader. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I'm here to make your best work come out and then orchestrate that everyone's best work flows together and makes sense together with the goal that we're achieving. I think my work in documentary has given me more of that flexibility, you know, because for example, Lauren, if you're trained, like you're learning your character, right? You are studying her, them, sorry, I don't know what role you're playing, but you know, how am I to override all of your work into that character as a director, right? It has to be a synthesis. So I, I think, you know, my shyness or my reservations, you know, I didn't think I could be a TV director uh, because I thought that was the most hierarchical of them all, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I've always seen examples of screaming directors or directors are, that are so intense and everyone's kind of, you know, really serving this auteur or, and I think that's a myth, to be honest. Everyone on set is an auteur. Everyone has put in deep work into their craft. So by me watching mentors or other examples, you know, I'll never forget in my half initiative program, 
again, another felt like an imposter. I'm like, I don't know how I'm on, you know, 911 TV set. Like, I don't know how I'm here. And my director that I was shadowing under, our episode was going wrong. Everything, like, it's a long story short, but the script wasn't on time. We were shooting with just an outline. It's just, it was really intense. Um, and he turned to me, he's like, I'm going to show you what it's like to direct a team when everything's going wrong. This, and he's like, you'll only get like one or two episodes like this in your entire life. I'm like, great. He was the kindest. He never complained. He was solution focused. Um, he really brought in everyone's strengths. He wasn't hierarchical. He knew he was a guest. And I think seeing those examples allowed me to walk into how I like to lead, which is collective based because Otherwise, I felt like I was phoning in this power that I don't feel is real. You know, um, I think it's kind of forced on set. Um, so that's truly when I saw that, I was like, oh, we can do this in a different way. But I always have to translate when I'm on set. I'm like, by the way, this is how I work. Like I, 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 com I communicate more and I, I, and I take time to discover more on set. Like I just need you to know that that's important to me. And now I'm able to express and translate. Um, so now I feel confident in watching, oh, this can also work. <laughs> I had an examples of how it could work. You know, I had only done short form projects that you have much more control over. Um, so I hope that answered your question. No, 100%. And like, I can't lie. I really geeked out when I saw that you did the Ryan Murphy initiative. I was like, ooh, Alejandro, you got a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that is the coolest program. Can you please tell us about it? <laughs> I feel like I got really lucky with Alejandro. I got a good one. I was like, <laughs> uh, truly, and I'm not just blowing smoke. Uh, working with Alejandro, I, I can I can go off about it. But speaking of, thank like you, he you. brought like so much charm and magic and, and specificity to his characters. Who am I to override them? You know, that's the magic of letting people do their best work. Sometimes they're better than your ideas. So you say yes and to your idea. I appreciate that because you were such a magical force and a, a beautiful guiding light during that process because I want to second what you were saying too, where it's like you established some ground rules from the very beginning. You make it clear that it's not just this closed vacuum of ideas that only comes from you as the leader. It's a collaborative process where everyone has input. And I think that made it more comfy, you know? Well, yeah, it's like, I came prepared with an understanding of what I wanted to do and bring the character to life. But then it was like, okay, how do I incorporate what other ideas from the other talent in this story are bringing to the table? And that openness just really facilitates a really beautiful process that I think helped shine in, in all the stories that you directed. I mean, truly. But going back to Lauren's question, I'm also really curious about this Dying beautiful opportunity. My goodness, <laughs> let's hear it. Dying, celebrating. <laughs> yeah, it was each time. Each time someone says yes, I'm like, oh my God, what? But how they do it, and, and I really admire Ryan Murphy Productions for how they go into this. Every single episode of their series has someone shadowing, which is unprecedented, you know? So if you do that math, though not many of us will actually direct something you know but that wasn't the point for me you know for me again being able to walk onto a tv set and i was on 911 which was the number one show in america at the time 
and seeing these robust productions. I'm watching VFX teams, these stunt teams, you know, it's anyone would be salivating watching these experts work, you know, and I get to observe and watch masters of their craft and observe and take notes and see how I do it differently and nerd out. It's like your ultimate school. And again, my mentor, David, he showed me how leadership can be soft and gentle. He showed me that even there, there are all these stakes and things are going wrong. Trust that the experts here have it with them to find the solutions. So me watching that praxis that was very loving on TV set is what I want to share with you because it's what you wouldn't expect, you know, of a show like that from this, these producers who are achieving great feats in any series, right? And that was one of like six, seven productions that were running simultaneously, right? And studio execs still made time to talk to me or give me like one sentence, you know, of, of feedback. And I'll never forget either the, the, the actors on that set. They, each of them made a, a point to come up to me and talk to me. I mean, Angela Bassett was on set. Can we have a moment for Angela Bassett? Um, <laughs> right. I, I couldn't look at her in the eyes, honestly. I was like, I'm not going to interrupt your work. I'm not going to do <laughs> You do what you need to do. Um, but even Jennifer Love Hewitt, who goes by Love now, um, who's a director in her own right, just like sat with me and, and gave me advice of how to be a, a woman director on set and what works with actors, what doesn't work, you know? So again, just being able to be on the field. I don't care if I'm like picking up the baseball bats, which is probably what I was doing, you know, but you know, just being able to be there, I don't think they understand because a lot of the critique with that program is like, oh, you don't get a guaranteed TV episode, right? But I'm like, how do I express gratitude that you allowed me to see myself in this medium where I hadn't before? So how did I know to fight to try to get in if you hadn't shown me that I could? And mm -hmm. they do that for so many of us. And they don't have to. They don't have to have this program. So that's what it was like for me. That's amazing. Well, taking a sidestep from learning and gaining these tools to, to put into your toolbox, you know, you as an expert on telling stories that pertain to social justice, how do you tell stories about social justice issues? Um, I flinched only because I, I always think I'm learning, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm still uh, learning. Uh, Am I an expert yet? Will uh, I ever be an expert? Like when I, my first project, I was 19 and I made a documentary about modern day slavery that's happening an hour away from Miami in Immokalee, Florida with farm workers. Um, I will never show that documentary. It's not a good one. It's telling you how to feel. But, uh, you know, I, I think when you're doing work with social justice, it's always the, the combination of like, how do I show the darkness, which is dark of what's going on, but how do I show the light of individuals in these systems? and the innovation yeah. and the weirdos and the revolutionaries and the misunderstood people and the outliers, like, how do I show that, you know, 
How do I show the power of the other? How do I, you know, because a lot of my work early on was like heavy fisted, like I'm going to punch you in the face with this truth. And over time, and I think that's important, but you have to know when you're making these blows and why, because the world already is throwing these punches at us, you know? So I'm like, okay, every, so to answer your question, I think it's listening, deep listening of like, what is it right now that can breathe hope into the context of what is going on? And sometimes, of course, you have to make a story that's a tragedy, you know, because that's the point of like, I need you to see that regardless of the fight, you will end up in a tragedy. And that is the point of this story. But I always, you know, a lot of my work has had either magical realism or poeticism or dance, something that brings a common language, other artistry to be able to discuss it. Because sometimes looking at it straight on is too much. And people look away. I'm like, how do I have people engaged in this understanding, but still be feel like they're part of it? It's tough. It's a, it's 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 a delicate dance and I don't always have it. I'm not always poised. Um, but I think that's what it is. It's like, you know, A, there's that and B, there's always contact with communities, with collectives, with activists. Like you can't, I think you can't do this work without being connected to the ground. And it's tough as you keep going up. I watch all these masters lose touch of what the ground is. I'm like, how do we make sure we don't lose the sight of the ground? Yeah. Absolutely. And I love what, I love what you said about like the darkness and I mean, even the balance of how to stay grounded. I feel like yeah, it's so relevant to like, without darkness, there is no light. And like, it's just the ebb and flow of life where it's just like, you, you, it's a, the balance. There's always a balance that we have to experience. And like, whether that's internal or external or with other people or within ourselves, it's like, there, there has to be that flow. But I love what you said too, about staying grounded and staying like very, it, I don't know if humble is the right word or not, but yes. like, um, making sure that we're connected, like, instead of just yeah. like floating that's off like beautiful. a balloon. Making sure that we're, connected. I got chills, Alejandro, as you said that, like, making sure okay. we're connected. <laughs> well, I, I think that's so true also, because I totally relate to you. And I feel like I was a little heavy handed in my work in the beginning as well, because I feel like, you know, you're trying so hard to make a message. You're trying so hard to create change. So you're like, here it is on a platter, please, yeah. you know, do something about it. <laughs> and, and then I think that like what I've been working on for myself is like, really trying to root it within the story, you know, so that it's not that I'm handing it to you on a platter, but through empathy and through understanding the character and relating to the character. Like to me, that's what being grounded is, right? Like allowing us to relate to those people by seeing a bit of ourselves in them. And it's been like really interesting for me because since being at Columbia, I'm one of my screenwriting professors for one of my recent projects, I wrote a male character and my professor was like, why, why do we have to hate him so much? Like, why does he have to be so horrible? And I'm like, cause men are horrible. Like, duh. And he's like, no, but come on. Like if you're trying to make your points, then men all can't be horrible. And I'm like, oh, fine. You're right. <laughs> yes. And right. Because if we look at the history of women, the femme fatale of queer people in cinema, like we were notoriously evil or had to have tragic ends if uh, if there was any actual liberation shown on screen. Um, 
if you do a character like that, you just have to know, like, I'm doing it for a reason. Like, of course, these are extreme mm -hmm. examples of like, they're just wrong. I'm like, but yeah, here, man, feel the discomfort of how all of us feel for our portrayals. I'm sorry at your discomfort, mm. but welcome to what it's like on the other side. Um, and not that we have to do that. <laughs> just give me your professor's phone number. <laughs> but <laughs> true. I'm like, my first role in LA was hot girl by the pool. Why can't this men be horrible in my script? <laughs> hot girl by the pool. They didn't even give you a name. This hot wow. girl by the pool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like one of my first short films at USC, it's like a semester where you make like really short films. And I sometimes I'm too in my head on theory. I'm so glad I went to that school because they're like, People have to watch this and enjoy it. I'm like, you're right. Um, but I was like, what would it be like to make a, a story where the woman drives the narrative, but we hypersexualize the man's body? And so I did that and we screened it in a cinema. And I, when I tell you that, again, we're in a master's program, we're all adults, you know, and I was one of the younger ones. When I tell you that the men were laughing in discomfort and that they were so uncomfortable and all of them made comments and all the women were like, thank you so much, you know? And I said, I did nothing but just hypersexualize the man and how I filmed him and the woman drove the story. That's all I did. But to watch the reactions, it was so fascinating. So it's like, well, that's, what we see, 95% uh, of all of our portrayals are that. You drive the narrative, but we're the sexualized ones in how you film us. But yeah, so it's just the, what we're used to. So when you see the examples, it feels like it's wrong, but it's not wrong. Yeah. It's like a, holding up a, a mirror to society and just really reflecting upon the evidence which has existed for so long. It's wild. Damn. I appreciate that. Well, given these experiences that you've already mentioned, I'm sure there have been many challenges along the way in um, getting to where you are. Could you speak to some of them for our listeners just to be able to learn from them? Because I know a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I'd love to be in Melanie's place right now. How do I get there? Can you talk about like some of the missteps or you know difficult patches along the way? Even just at the question, I get emotional. Um, you know, I, in 2020, and I'm gonna mention this for a point, but um, I had a friend who went to school with me who was in our grad program, take his life in 2020. And he was a brilliant filmmaker. I'm gonna speak his name Tariq, cause he was, he was probably more brilliant than all of us, you know? And me seeing that, like, I think all of us stepped back. We're like, what? If he, and he was a bright light, he walked into a room, he was like Spike Lee. I don't know how to describe him. Uh, he was going to be on another level. And to see him take his life, I go, okay, this is serious. The darkness that we experience as artists is not a joke. And we're not talking about it. Because when I, when we would walk into the room with each other, it's like, hey, what are you working on? Oh my God, this and that. So you have this like bypassing narrative and the ways that we speak in this town and in this business. And then I realized like, oh, people can't just look at my highlight reel and want it. 
I have to be more honest in what I'm going through and what I have gone through. Because you can look at this, right? But I still have student debt. I'm still figuring out my next gig. You know, it, it, it's not like I, I, I round it not to celebrate. I'm so jubilant and outside myself that I'm even having this conversation with you two about a career. Like that's bewildering to me. But, you know, I, I think of like the ups and downs and, you know, I think I look back and I'm like, man, you, when it's dried out, you can lose sight of who you are, of why you do this, of why you're even doing this. You can lose faith in yourself. So you'll stop doing the work it takes to activate momentum. And what I mean by that, like in these depressive states, you'll like, you'll keep doing your gig work, you know, you'll keep, you know, I've edited, I've produced, I've driven grip trucks. I've done almost anything on a set. Um, so you're, you go in the grind and you stop like working on the scripts. You stop, you stop creating stuff just to create stuff. You stop reaching out to connect to people. You stop, you know, cause at some point I thought like, this is silly. I've applied to dozens of these fellowships. I've gotten so many no's that, 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 like, what am I doing? And I think, you know, there is something about asking for help earlier and having people around you that will infuse magic back into your life because it can drain you. And I just think of all the years I lost in the city. I like there, how can it be that I am in Los Angeles, a media capital of the world with some of the most inspired creative people that I could ever meet with, a childhood dream. And I can feel like it's desolate and that I can't create anything and that it's hopeless. I wish I had asked for help. I think because people look at me as, you know, as a leader. So then I didn't, because of this narrative of my successes or whatever it is, but my life looked differently and my internal struggle, struggles looked differently. And I wish I had asked for help. I wish I had been more playful with my creativity. You know, I, in 2020, this, a group of artists, we were like eight people in from different disciplines, from music. It was so beautiful that we all came together on Zoom to do the artist's way. And I bring that book in because I realized how rigid I became with my own creativity and our art form because we get into the realities. Like once you leave school or once you move here, you see behind the curtain, you see behind the Wizard of Oz. You're like, oh, this is what it looks like. And this is the game. And these are the agents and the managers. And here's the nepotism. And here's the racism. And here's the sexism. And here's the da 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 That you stop being in the magic of why you're here to do what you do. And you stop taking action. So, you know, there's very specific points, but that's what I mean. I think I lost myself a few times. And I think of like, what could I have created? You know, where would I actually be? You know, if I had said yes and made sure that my creativity was playful, like at the end of the day, regardless, honestly, if the playfulness dies, your soul dies in this business. Like, and I've learned that the hard way. So now I cultivate the play as much as possible. I'm like, let me just like, 
talk to this actor and let's just like do a scene or for no reason, but like, let's just have fun. Let it not be about making the day on set. You know, let it not be about selling the script. Let it be about just cultivating who we are and being alive. Um, so I know I go woo woo, but I do think this is woo woo work. <laughs> We're here for the woo-woo all day long. We both love the art of play. <laughs> I love this. I love this. But you know, I mean, it's just the the flow, the ebb and flow. It's like just being okay with time that is necessary. It's like cooking a stew or something. I feel like when it's on a slow burn, it's like you can't really rush the process. You just got to go with the flow and know that what you're doing is the best work that you can do and then trusting that like things will align because they always do they always i mean you know you're here now and like i understand those questions too that you were describing of like oh what would my life be like had this happened or what would my (laughs) career path look like had i had that conversation or taken that leap of faith and just had sparked up something with someone that i saw randomly but then i was like well what purpose does that serve in this present moment it's like we can write about it and create a story and then it's like okay well we can't turn back time but we can move forward knowing that we don't have to operate with skepticism uh yeah. of ourselves or our strengths or what we can offer to a project or whatever we just know that ain't nobody can do what we do how we do right <laughs> yeah and those dark times also allow me to have compassion to characters who are depressed or you know like understand that balance in life that's more you know honest but also when i see my name on the slate now i'm like holy crap this is this is stupid incredible right anyone else having a moment that we get to do this and get paid (laughs) like anyone you know it's like it's a different level of gratitude because i like and because i know what it's like to not have that in your life yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Can you share what your biggest pinch me moment has been yet? Wow. Honest? Okay. Dang. That biggest pinch me moment. This has been a... I'm trying not to cry. That's why I look down and I'm awkward. Um, mm-hmm. This year... Um, amidst a strike amidst so much pain it goes without saying like you know i got to direct tv for the first time there's just many things i've i've really nurtured or seen a beautiful very queer bipoc community here in los angeles but honestly like so we we did the disruptors fellowship and i've been a part of it for four years so the disruptors fellowship is a tv fellowship program that gets 10 uh, BIPOC writers, up and coming TV writers who are also, who identify also as disabled, formerly undocumented or undocumented or trans, right? And then they have a mentorship where they develop their pilots. And then I come in at the end when it's to produce the showcase. So we started in 2020. So it was all digital. It's a long story short, but this was our fourth year and our first time in person. And I can't tell you what it's like to be with these 10 writers who are creating such interesting, specific stories and then working with 27 uh, actors and four other directors. Um, This was the first time I got to direct two of the 10 pieces. 
And I, I kid you not, being in presence with everyone, uh, the day of the showcase, I'm like, I made it. This, this is the literal dream. This is it. I am with people who have chosen their freedom. Who they don't have to tell me how, but I know it was a struggle to say yes to who they are and develop their skill sets in the one in a million opportunity that you can survive in this industry doing what we do. Not one in a million. It's not that bad. Um, but we like to be, mm -hmm. we love to be dramatic in this business and who have given a lot of their time to give life to these stories and to say yes to this future of Hollywood that includes all of us. Like regardless. And I know I've told you, I've like, I've directed TV, I've done other things, but being in that collective of people who are, they themselves are activists and at the forefront of their own things. I'm like, I, this isn't going to feed my, <laughs> I wish this could feed my rent for the next year. It's not, but my soul, my soul is screaming that this is my reality. It was so beautiful. You were such a dream to work with. Oh my goodness, seriously. Uh, and how incredible that must feel to achieve such a milestone of seeing the evolution of Disruptors start as a virtual experience and then take its uh, formidable shape as an in-person staged reading. I mean, hats off to you. Hats off to you. But for such a dream like yourself, Melanie, please <laughs> share with us, what are some healthy habits or morning routines or things that you live by for every single day to kind of like either start you off or, you know, continue some good momentum? Um, I have a lot of anxiety. I'm an anxious person and Same. great. We, we should have been friends. Yeah. We, we really have a very similar trajectory. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Um, it's no time like a present for a friendship. <laughs> Here's an actual mirror. I need a move. So like if I wake up or I'm like at the gym or I'm running, like if I don't move my body every day, I start to see like the intrusive thoughts become more intense or me not be able to focus as much or be more distracted. Also, um, I know we're very lucky with, with Los Angeles and the weather here and nature, but hiking, like for me being in nature, I I'll go at 6am hike and be back before I have to be working. And for me, that like allows me to zoom out and not to be so stuck in the day to day or in what will go on that day. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, I just, I just felt the earth for a few hours. Like this, you know, it, it just gives me a different perspective. I, yeah, I would say that's a, a main one. I wake up really early. It allows me to feel like I'm cheating the world before anyone <laughs> calls or like emails have to be submitted. Like this is my quiet time to read to work on something else of mine you know uh yeah so i make sure you know i balance i'm like today is a running day in the morning or today you're gonna go read or today you're gonna go write um but i think that keeps again it's easier to be in momentum when there is momentum it is harder to make momentum when you come from stillness and so that goes yeah. with anything and i realize like if I get too still, then it's really hard to move. 
and I can enter depression. So that's why for me, I'm like, I, I have to keep calibrated every morning, you know, at some point, like meditation is key for me. Um, I come from a deep yoga practice. So, you know, whatever makes you connect, and I'm going to say spirit, however you define spirit, however you define that, like, or how Alejandro said, keeping connected, however you can feel connected, whether it's like seeing a person, texting someone, having a pastry, whatever it is that feels connected and refilling the soul, like it's also a part of my daily practice um, as much as possible. When I fall out, it does not look pretty, y'all. It's not pretty. <laughs> Yeah. I feel you. That's really funny that you mentioned eating a pastry because immediately I'm like, oh, that reminds me. It's been a while since I've last had a donut. He but loves donuts. I'm obsessed. <laughs> I'm obsessed. But it's funny because like uh, recently, uh, well, I was just in a fashion show this past weekend. And then even for the stage you readings, I was like incredible. trying to keep... Thank you. Unbelievable. Excuse me? Why do you want to talk to me? And then like the little spin at the end of the runway with the laugh. I'm like, okay, you've done this before? <laughs> Muna is, you know, trying to stay fit for, for opportunities like that. And for the stage reading too, you know, with the costume pieces, one of them I had to, it's like fishnet shirt, whatever. So it's like my body is exposed. And I, I do, I mean, body dysmorphia is a thing that has been for a while. So like having those struggles makes it challenging in there to, right um so it's like when i'm good and i'm focused i'm like boom you know let's keep this train moving but shit once those performances are oh oh please believe taco bell is on speed dial i mean those late night deliveries become a thing but then it's like i don't know letting allowing myself to indulge yes i, I think is important sometimes at least as a reward i mean that's a yes. fucked up maybe it's a messed up reward system for me but it works <laughs> No, I agree. I told you I'm on this uh, stupid fiber thing while I'm preparing for my feature because yeah. my character has like stunts in it. So I'm trying to build my endurance. And I'm also a big hiker. New York does not warrant hiking. I got a walking pad. I've been doing my walking pad with my lines. But let me tell you, I told my boyfriend yesterday, as soon as this feature is over, I am eating every cookie that New York has to <laughs> offer. I want all the sushi. Like, I am just going to be on the couch just eating all day, every day. That is my wish for myself. <laughs> the planet has seasons. Why not us? You know? Um, <laughs> but, I mean, also respect because my work is behind the camera, right? You are the instrument. So there's so much other stuff and the realities and the harshness of casting or, or sticking through a character. You know, uh, the project I was filming over the summer, those actors were there for four months. You have to maintain sameness for four months that's right. difficult and so like what y'all were saying and of course you were athletes this is although whatever it looks like we're holding cameras the actors are doing their thing they're going through makeup everyone's an athlete in their own way and that discipline to do what you all do like i i really do say acting is the toughest job on set like because all of the layers because you are the instrument. You are so many layers of you have to be open and aware and ready. Plus the lines, plus the choreo, plus, you know. So, yeah, like, respect. Real, much respect. Because, again, a lot of it is not in your control. Like, it is in the control of what this character has to look like. And those are really intense demands. So, it's, 
I just want to take away a little bit of that weight off of the shoulder of how y'all talked about it. Cause it's like, that is what you're trained to do. Do we all agree with it? How do we keep healthy connections to our bodies and ourselves as we have to do this, as y'all have to do this? That's why I respect it. For actors to stay grounded and connected, that is respectable. I mean it. Um, it's not easy what you do. And on that note, read Uta Hagen's book, Respect for Acting. <laughs> Great book. <laughs> hey, studios, do you want to give a better SAG deal? Um, can you send the respect? Them, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, but Melanie, we have to ask you as we are damsels in the DMs, what is the funniest, wildest, most intriguing or inspirational DM that you have ever received? I don't oh, you know what? I don't I don't know why I'm blanking and I know you sent questions, but I don't like to prepare because I like to be in the moment. Um there was an actor, I wanna say he was in Pakistan and he DM me. He's like, I would love to work with you one day. I mean, who am I? And I say that not out of, this isn't coming from not knowing my own power. I just mean like not a lot of my work has been seen on screens around the world. You know, it's like videos, sure that have gone viral or whatever, but I remember seeing them like, damn, <laughs> that's beautiful. Like, you know, for anyone, anytime someone says that, like, I know it's not wild. I'm sorry. It's not like a very sexy thing, but it's, it's so wild for me. Every time someone's like, I would love to work with you. I'm like, what? Really? It, it feels magical every time. It, 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 and I don't think anyone who's ever done that to me, I don't think they realize that they're showing me that I should stay doing this. They're, they're my reasons because, it again, it's so easy to not feel enough. So I'm so happy when I get those messages. I'm trying to think of anything wilder. I don't know. I mean, that is such a gift. That's perfect, yeah. that too. That is perfect. And Also, we'd love to work with you, so please stay. <laughs> yeah. Hello? Alejandro Hardy. I want to. <laughs> I mean, that that's a thing, right? I think... Ugh. I think my own pressure and anxiety comes with like, I wish I had, you know, the, the dream is to have enough monetary backing to be like, yes, let's do it. And let me pay you beyond your full rate. You know, like, let me, how does my dream make it possible for other people to sustain their dreams? Like, so that's the pressure of like, oh, I wish our, you know, I know we can film on an iPhone, but I'm like, oh man, the expense of this field, but yes. Pending, I would love to, and I and I mean that. I wouldn't say it otherwise. That would be dope. Can you imagine if damsels in the DM somehow takes a different form and you're on board with us? My goodness, what if? What if? What is it? <laughs> what does it look like? What is it? Who knows? Who, mm. You tell us. You're the director. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but it needs to be a collective creation. Yeah. Oh man. Well, speaking of collective creations, you know, our DM of the week happens to ask, what would be some dream collaborations you're manifesting right now? That I'm currently manifesting or that I want to yes. manifest? Either or. If you have one answer oh. for either, 
we're here for. Yeah, I've been working on a documentary on and off for the last year about drag kings in Los Angeles, Latino drag kings. Yeah, so much to say about that. Oh um, but, you know, speaking of the others or the revolutionaries, I just look at them I'm like, y'all are disrupting gender in a whole other way because not only is it the most, it's, it, you know, it's unfortunately seen under drag queens is not as understood though it's been there as long, but they themselves are blending the lines of like king and queen and these definitions of gender. And like, they're they're coming in disrupting drag in, in, in general, but as a Latina watching people who were, you know, most of them born female, disrupt masculinity and explore it and you know it's just so enriching but anyway i would love to find you know more funding uh because in that project i want to create vignettes that they create that they have resources for and i just help them film it um but that's a, a dream project i have a i grew up in florida and florida is florading right now and you know as it does as it does but you know, I remember, so I'm, I'm writing a, I've written a script based off of a high school dance team that formulates after the main dance squad, which is like a very powerful dance squad, discriminates against queer people on campus. But long story short, I started writing this seven years ago. This story has been with me that long. But back then when I showed it to people, they're like, people discriminating against queer people in Miami? I don't believe it, you know? people didn't understand me or what I was creating or what I was channeling cut to now <laughs> that project for me, it haunts me. These characters are alive and I feel responsible that they're not alive on the screen, but it would be a dream project, especially right now to, to be in the high school with these individuals who are our future and see them handle the massive massive misunderstanding of who they are and the literal legal repercussions that they have to speak who they are, which, you know, I was closeted. I didn't understand myself. I knew one lesbian in a 6,000 people high school, y'all one like, damn. and you know, I had no examples and the heteronormativity of growing up in a mostly Latino area, all of it. So for me to be able to do this, you know, come back with my strengths now as a formulated adult who understands themselves, who has the power of all of these liberated individuals around me, I'm like, can I bring this story to Miami? You know, like that is what I'm working on manifesting. But are we there yet? No. Yeah. My dad actually went to the first non-segregated school in Miami. So isn't that crazy? Like, it's so interesting to hear from you saying this about Miami and then thinking about him, you know, whatever it feels like forever ago that he was there. But what year was he in high school? Hmm, it was must have been like in the 1960s. Um, sorry, Dad. Um, but, <laughs> but I think it was like Miami Dade was the high school. That's yeah. And it was time ago. Yeah. 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 I mean, as sexy, that's what's so exciting. Like Miami's a sexy, young looking, you know, burst of, of Latino and Caribbean creativity, but there is so much 
I, I don't want to use the term policing, but there's so much controlling of how you have to be. So as, as like, as like stripped down our clothes may be and sexy and whatever, and we look liberated, it looks differently when you're there. And that's what I'm interested in. Like there's great beauty in Miami. I love that city and I want to celebrate it and, you know, showcase the what's going on. But yeah, wild. Yeah. 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 Well, Melanie, you have been a true joy. Thank you so much for coming on. Please let our listeners know where they can find you and stay up to date on your work. Yes. Um, I am on Instagram. I feel like such a millennial. Like I'm only on Instagram and I don't believe in Twitter X. But yeah, I'm on Instagram, soy yo Melanie, which means I am Melanie in Spanish. You can find my website. There's my email. Reach out. Um, What's the website for listeners who can't oh, see? MelanieDandrea.com. M-E-L-A-N-I-E-D-A-N-D-R-E-A.com. Boom. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Oh, my God. This was such a gift. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. As always, our DMs are open and waiting for your feedback, for your reviews, or our podcast whether you're getting it on apple or spotify is ready for you to review and rate with glimmering uh, words of course but if you have feedback for us we're always open to that too absolutely rating and reviewing helps us to continue to bring you more content so please do so <laughs> all right everyone it's been another episode of damsels in the dms until next time it's going down in the dms bye, bye. Yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.